God, we're here to worship you. Help us to do that. Help us to sense your presence that has been with us all morning, even if we're just noticing it. Help us to notice our breath and this life force that keeps us moving. Lord, and help us to trust in your enduring and faithful love for us, a love we cannot escape, a love that is always there. Help us to feel that presence this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, I am in conversations fairly regularly with people who are wrestling with or asking really good questions about faith. Questions like, what is true about the nature of God? How do I deepen my knowing of Jesus? Do I still believe all the things I used to believe when I was younger? Is God really present in all the struggle? Why is following Jesus so painful sometimes? Questions like these. And sometimes I'm in conversations with people who grew up in the church, right? They grew up in a really strong community of faith. Sometimes I speak with folks who are nominally Christian. That's sort of how I would classify myself and my upbringing anyway. Sometimes I'm with folks who don't necessarily prescribe to a particular faith tradition. They might be in that camp of spiritual but not religious. Our culture has labeled those people. Does anybody know what, what our culture calls the spiritual but not religious? The nuns, not to be confused with the N-U-N-S, the women religious, the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. A good majority of my peers find themselves in that camp. Um, I sometimes sit with people whose faith is very intact, but it's evolving in some way, and that can be scary. And then sometimes I'm in conversations with folks who are, in their own words, having a crisis of faith in some, in some way. Things are unraveling, and that can be pretty scary, too. All this to say, faith is a topic of conversation in a, no a number of my relationships. It has been for a long time. It's my favorite thing to talk about, which either makes me a great guest or the worst at dinner parties. I think the jury's still out on that. But as I've been reflecting back on a lot of these conversations through the years, many of these conversations, there's a question that I hear over and over again, even if it's not explicitly asked, and it's the question I've written up here on the board this morning. What difference does my faith in Jesus make? What difference does faith make in daily life? I think it's a great question. In fact, I think it's been a really motivating question for me through my, through my upbringing in adult life. And this is one of the questions I want to reflect on here together this morning in light of the scripture passage for today. When you think about your journey, your life, your walk with God, your movement towards God and, and an attempt to walk closer in line with Jesus, what difference has that made in your daily life? What difference has that made? The second question I've been reflecting on this week, again in light of the scripture passage for this morning, is the one I wrote over here. Where do I find hope? I don't know about you, but in the past couple years I've heard this question just around many of the circles that I'm in, inside and outside the church, with everything that is happening in the world. Where does hope come from? Where do I find it? Right? On any given day there are plenty of things in this life to be a source of desolation or despair. How do I maintain hope in the midst of struggle? I think that's a good question as well. I hear it being asked often, and that's the second question I want us to just reflect on a little bit together today. And I think our passage, which comes from today's lectionary, offers some good insight on both of those questions. We're going to be in Romans 5, just five verses today. Romans 5, Romans is a letter, it's an epistle. Anyone know who authored Romans? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Yes, good memory, Jeffrey, my favorite. Likely, uh, it is said that Paul authored this letter from Corinth during one of his missionary journeys. 
Several hundred years ago, Martin Luther called Paul's letter to the Romans the chief book of the New Testament, the clearest gospel. Other Christian scholars and thinkers have referred to the letter to the Romans as the gospel according to Paul. But the thing I wanted to make sure that we hear this morning is that while this letter is considered to be one of Paul's most robust explanations of his theology, certainly full of doctrine, it was written to a specific people at a specific time. It was written to the church in Rome so that they might apply the truth of the gospel to their everyday life. And I think that's important for us to take note of. That's one of my favorite things. I think one of the most important characteristics of the letters of the New Testament, they are letters written to a specific people at a specific time and in a specific place. All right, so let me go ahead and read Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll see what we can discover here this morning. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. All right, now the first truth that Paul is offering here is in regards to justification, right? In the simplest of terms, Paul is saying that we are justified, we are set right, we are in right relationship with God through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works. It's not by what we accomplish. It's not by how much money we have, how many letters are behind our name. None of that is important when it comes to our salvation. We are made right. We are at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We didn't earn it. We didn't earn that peace. It's God's grace poured out through us, for us through Christ. That's what pulls us into this place of right standing. Now, to me, that's good news. That's good news for a lot of reasons. I hear assurance in those first two verses. I hope you do as well. It is to say that regardless of my occasional doubt, my missteps and my misgivings, my own battle with sin, my faith in Jesus puts me in right standing with God for eternity. Good news. Good news in that. And that's a love that I don't actually understand. It's too big for my little head to get around. But I want to believe it. And I do. Faith is what brings us into right relationship with our creator, right? Belief in the invisible God who made himself visible through Christ. So when I think about this question, what difference does faith in Jesus make? Well, there's a pretty good answer presented in pretty straightforward language. Faith in Jesus brings us together with God. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this section of scripture in the message. I think we have a slide for that as well. Let's see if this helps us hone in even closer on this core fundamental truth. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall, shouting our praise. I find that so moving. 
Does that stir an image of any kind in you, anything in your imagination about the nature of God, God's love for you? I had an aunt. She passed away when I was in high school, but I had an aunt, great aunt, Aunt Elsie. And I didn't get to see Aunt Elsie often, but when I did, she had this way of coming over to me, and she would, I was probably this tall, so she would kind of stoop down, and she would take both of her hands and put them around my face and pull me really close, and she would say, Maggie, because that's what they called me when I was that age, Maggie, it's so good to see you. And I believed it. I believed that it was, that she really was that glad to see me. Sometimes that's how I imagine God is with us. He's just right there, just just can't wait to see us. Jesus creates the doorway for that kind of embrace, right? God reaches his hands towards us, and he never stops reaching. You can't do anything to stop that reaching. You just believe and receive. This is good news. But here's the thing, and I'm going to be real honest with you right now. That truth, as true as it is, it's almost too big, too esoteric for me to realize on a daily basis. Right? It's important for us to understand that faith in Jesus Christ puts us into right relationship with God, and that is an important part of our salvation. Don't, don't let me mince words around that. But what I still want to know, and what I hear my peers and people I sit with wanting to know, is how is being in right relationship with the Creator, how does that impact my life on a Tuesday? I've been pondering that this week. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to share a little story of something that happened to me this week, on a Tuesday, actually. Because I think it's helping me get my head a little bit clearer around this idea. What difference does faith in Jesus make in daily life? All right, so Tuesday, it was 5.30 a.m. I woke up, that's usually when I wake up. My first, uh, the first thing I do is I make coffee and I, I pray. I sit, we have a little blue couch, I sit cross-legged on my blue couch and I just try to find some stillness and some silence. Last Tuesday, I woke up angry. And I had a hunch I would wake up angry because I went to bed angry. <laughs> and that whole Ephesians 4, don't let your sun, don't let the sun set on your anger, that proves out time and time again for me. I know, I knew that was gonna happen. So I wake up angry, I'm awake, I'm alone, I'm angry. And here's the thing, I had been angry for about three days and I didn't know why. I didn't know why. And that morning I did not want to pray because frankly I did not want to sit and wallow some more in my bad mood. I was starting to get tired of being angry or angry at being angry. Does anyone else have emotions about their emotions? That's what was happening. So I sat there anyway, but I did not have words to pray. And Paul's words later in Romans, Romans 8 verse 26, really came to life for me that morning. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. That was very true for me just Tuesday morning. I just felt an ache, just an ache in my soul. There's a spiritual director and a pretty well-known Christian thinker in some circles, Ruth Haley Barton is her name, and she uses helpful, a helpful visual, I think, to talk about the importance of stillness in our lives. Ruth Haley Barton, I think you know this one, Emily, she says that most of life is like a jar of shaken up river water. So imagine you go down to the Ohio River, you take a mason jar, you scoop up some water, you screw the cap on and you shake it. That muddiness, she would say that's how most of life is. It's only when you set that jar down, make it still, does the sediment drop to the bottom, does clear water start to rise to the top. It's only when we get still do we start to have some clarity. So I sat there and sure enough, that's what happened to me. The waters began to still and clarity started to emerge. 
right? I was taken back to some memories from the past few days, some things that had happened to me. I'd had a disappointing call with my brother on a Friday afternoon. I'd had a pretty tough meeting that Friday evening. I was out for a jog Saturday morning, and a dog leaped at me. It was tied up, but still, it was a very alarming thing. And later that afternoon, in fact, as I was trying to work on the message for today, there was a neighborhood brawl on our street. Kids, teens, police, it was a whole thing. And one by one, these situations just started to come into my, into my awareness, along with two or three more that morning, just as I sat there. Situations, I think, that reminded me of the brokenness, of the relational fracture, of the violence in our world. And all of a sudden, I sensed a voice just sort of say, Megan, it makes sense why you're angry. Your heart is cracking over things in this world that are not as they were intended to be. Mine does too. As I sat there, I welcomed in what I think we would call lament, just a feeling of lament. And at the end of that prayer time, nothing circumstantially changed, right? I think my brother is still making some poor choices. The, the tough meeting, the guy with the accusations probably thinks his perspective's still the only one. I think there's a dog still jumping at people in Price Hill, and I don't really know what to do next with my neighbors. But something in me did change. There was a little heart rewiring. I felt a little bit lighter, the anger lifted. It was as if somehow naming the pain, lamenting the brokenness, brokenness both that I've experienced and that was witnessed somehow took some of its power away. And so as I went along with my day, still pondering that question, what difference does my faith in Jesus make in daily life, an answer started to emerge for me. Here's what it is. Being in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus means I have somewhere to go with the ache in my soul over the darkness in our world. I have somewhere to go with that. And here's the other crazy thing that happened. As I sat there and just poured out all these things that I'm feeling distraught about, turning to God and saying, here, you take it, something surprising came out of me. Praise came out of me. I think we have a slide. At the risk of showing you my journal, <laughs> here's what I wrote. Does that one come up, Drew? Here's what came out of me. I, I, I scratched this down. God, thank you for seeking me all these years. All these years. Thank you for being part of my life. Thank you for giving me a spirit that in some mysterious way reaches out to yours with groans too great for words. Thank you that my heart breaks over calamity and chaos in this world. Thank you for the thirst you've planted in my soul that longs for something more than this. Whatever all that is, maybe faith, <laughs> keep that in me despite the ache it causes my soul. I sat down last, last Tuesday angry at the world and everyone in it, and I stood up praising God. That makes no sense to me. I think that's grace. I believe that was a power in me that wasn't me. I think that's the Holy Spirit. Faith in Jesus for me is certainly a kind of end-of-life insurance, right? It's a hope that I will go home to be with God when I die. But for all the rest of the days leading up to that final day, faith gives us access to a God who we can turn to and who does not look away, who in fact beckons us to come closer and closer and closer the more we turn to him. So what difference does faith make in your daily life? I want you to reflect on that with me this week. Let's keep going in the passage, verses 3 and 5. Drew, if you can put the scripture back up there. 
verse 3, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Paul offers here a word about hope. Let me share one more quick anecdote. When I was in my early 20s, I had a mentor named Josh. And Josh had a mentor named Maribel. We lived in the South. And Maribel had a phrase that went like this, in all things be hopeful and helpful. In all things be hopeful and helpful. Josh adopted this phrase as his mantra, so to speak, and under his mentorship, so did I. I loved this phrase. I loved it so much, I screen printed posters to hang around my room. I think we have an image of that as well. In all things be hopeful and helpful. As a 24-year-old, person who had graduated into a what can be highly competitive professional field in the height of an economic recession, no less. This way of trying to be in the world, hopeful and helpful, seemed to be a good thing to strive toward. And because Jesus wasn't really a central figure in my life at that point, I needed something to anchor to. So that's what I chose. A mentor and a mantra. In all things, be hopeful and helpful. That worked for me for a while. Right? I was able to maintain a relatively cheery disposition. I was known to bring optimism into the rooms that I was invited into. I could find opportunity and challenges and respond in creative ways, all good things. But then something happened, and that simply was life as it does started to get harder. Right? I experienced my first real relational betrayal, ironically by the same person that taught me that phrase. Jobs didn't work out as I thought they might. Relationships didn't unfold the way that I had hoped. Even the shiniest cities I was learning had a shadowy side. That phrase, in all things be hopeful and helpful, this idea I had anchored to, put a lot of pressure on me to muster up a particular feeling, hopefulness, and a particular demeanor, helpfulness. It was as if I needed to be the one generating the hope like hope is this thing we carry and we have to make sure that we plant it in the right people and the right things and the right ideas and the right movements lest we become hopeless or even worse, needy. <laughs> and what I quickly learned as a young person was that the most perplexing and painful situations that come our way cannot necessarily be fixed, understood, or explained in our own strength. Jesus is very clear that in this world we will have trouble and when it comes, an encouraging quote is not enough to save us, right? No amount of self-generated hope or optimism can stand up against the powers in this world. We need something better. Paul offers, I think, a better lens here with which to view hope. He tells us to boast in our afflictions because afflictions lead to endurance, and endurance leads to character, and character produces a hope that does not disappoint. In this equation, hope is not something that we create ourselves, and it is certainly more than a feeling. It's a fruit. It's a harvest that grows when we experience deepened life in Christ, which will indeed include struggle. There's no shortcuts to this kind of hope. This hope is the fruit that grows from a life rooted in Christ that will emerge for us to receive over time by God's grace and through the Spirit's work in our hearts. And this hope, verse 5, this hope will not put us to shame, it will not disappoint us, because it will form within the unwavering and unchanging reality of God's enduring love for us. Remember, we cannot be separated from God's love. Romans 8, we cannot be separated from God's love. 
Through faith, we have peace with God. We are in God's love. That love is the incubator for this kind of hope that Paul is sharing here. So does seeing hope as a fruit that flows from a process give any new perspective to the question, where do I find hope? Does it change anything, perhaps, how you see a present struggle that you might be experiencing? What if the struggle isn't the end of the story? Right? What might want to be born in you or through you into the world? Sue Monk Kidd, Secret Life of Bees. Anyone know Sue Monk Kidd? Sue Monk Kidd puts it this way. Many of, us have many of us have lost the ability to incubate pain and let it birth something new. Might your present affliction be the beginning of something new that wants to be born around you or through you? Give it time. Allow endurance to form. Let endurance grow your character. And from there, watch hope emerge. Watch hope emerge. What difference does my faith in Jesus make? Where do I find hope? Would you join me in this week just in reflecting on those questions personally? Maybe around your dinner table, coffee with a friend. I'm always up for a walk and a coffee. I'd love to hear what resonates for you. And the last thing I'll say is this. I think it's really important that we wrestle with these questions personally and as a community, right? Because we are in a season as a church family where we are trying to realign ourselves to the reason this church was planted 34 years ago near this university. And that is to reach people in this university neighborhood with the good news of the gospel. And I think it's really important for us, adult Christians and young ones as well, to clarify why we believe. What's your reason for pursuing Jesus, right? And I think people are hungry for hope and they wanna know where to find it. They are hungry for hope and we, the church, are supposed to know something about that. We're supposed to be the hope bearers, right? So my prayer for us as a community as we continue to walk forward here is that we would also be as bold as Paul in our proclamation of the gospel that we would find authentic and compelling ways to share what difference our faith in Jesus makes. And may we also be people who hear that message and may it move us so that others would also turn towards a deeper life in Christ as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that we need your help to hope. We know in this season that we find ourselves in, looking around where we just see darkness sometimes and brokenness, it's hard to hold on to this hope that we have in you, this promise for future glory. So Lord, I ask for it, for all of us here right now, God, that you would, you would help us to have a hope that is deeper than the things that we can see, to press into the kingdom reality that we know is true, that we know is real. We need your help to do that. Help us to share boldly. Help us to go inward into our own lives and look at that question. What difference does faith in Jesus make in my daily life? Lord, I pray that we could be people that honest with one another and that people that would come into this building or encounter us in our neighborhoods or in our jobs would just find something different. They would see something in us that would draw them closer to you. That is our hope. Help us to press into it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to move now to a time of communion, a time where we remember the new life possible for us because of what Jesus has already done.
So just in a few moments, as the music plays, I invite you to come forward a few at a time, take the bread and the juice back to your seat, and we'll take communion together. Before we do that, would you stand with me? And we will speak a word of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.